Luke 5, 27 through 39. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." And they said to him, the disciples of, the, of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the, from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be, be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. This is the word of the Lord. And let us pray. Our Father, as we now um, turn our attention to your word, Revealed to us uh, through the Gospel of Luke, we pray, Father, for your help that you would give your Holy Spirit to us and grant us, Lord, faith in your word, trust in your word, and Lord, that you would give us spiritual life as we hear your word together. And Father, we also pray for other believers, other churches gathering together this morning, uh, all up and down uh, the uh, Elkhorn River and uh, the Platte River and other rivers, Father Niobrara, uh, Lord, who are suffering, who have experienced uh, loss this week, we pray for them as they gather in their churches to hear your word, that you would encourage them with your word this morning and build up their faith and hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, when I was growing up, uh, my dad always had a herd of sheep. Uh, he also raised uh, pigs, but the sheep uh, were much more easier for, for me to take care of, so I often was given the responsibility of doing uh, the sheep chores while my dad focused on, on hog work, and uh, I don't know, maybe uh, that was part of how the Lord was pre preparing me uh, for my calling as a pastor, uh, which is based on the, the Greek word uh, for shepherd. Uh, but I remember one afternoon when I arrived at the farm place finding uh, one young sheep with his head caught in the fence. He was, of course, not satisfied with the grass in the huge pasture that he was in and thought the grass uh, on the other side of the fence uh, looked much greener, uh, much, much more tasty. And, and so he, he got his head through the fence uh, to nibble on some of that grass, but now couldn't get his head back uh, out of the fence. So I tried to help uh, the poor sheep, uh, but I was pretty young and didn't really know what I was doing. Um, so I just left him there uh, in the fence and, and went to get my, my dad. All the while, uh, this animal was just, just inches away 
from this, this lush green grass right in front of him. He was trying so hard to just push himself through to get to that grass, but just couldn't do it. He couldn't seem to get a bite of that green grass, but it wasn't for a lack of effort on his part. Now, a little while later, uh, I came back over with my dad and, and uh, that sheep, still right where I left him, uh, in the fence, his head uh, still stuck. And as part of uh, my, my chores, I was supposed to, to feed the sheep uh, a few buckets of corn. So my dad asked me if, if I had done that yet. I told him, no, I hadn't. And uh, he told me, well, well go get you know, two, two buck, buckets of corn and let's just see what happens. So I went into the barn and filled two five-gallon buckets full of corn, walked out into the yard, and we had these, uh, these feeding uh, troughs, uh, which were uh, sections of an, of an old hay elevator. Uh, so they were aluminum, and uh, when you poured corn into them, it made this real distinct noise for all those hard kernels, you know, slamming and, and pouring against that metal in these troughs. Whenever the sheep would hear that sound, they would come rushing from wherever they were to try to get that corn if they weren't already there crowding around me uh, to receive uh, that feast. So on this afternoon, when I began to pour that corn out, I looked up at that sheep with his head stuck in the fence. And let's just say his motivation to get his head out of that fence was elevated. He realized that if he would just give up trying for that green grass on the other side, he's not able to, to really get at on his own anyway, that he would be able to have a feast of corn. And within a few seconds, he had pulled himself uh, out of that fence and ran his way over to feed on that corn. So, so friends, we often have the same problem as that sheep. We, we tend to live like with just a little more effort on our part, we could earn our way in a paradise. We could achieve the glorious position of being right with God and would be welcomed into heaven through our own efforts. But in reality, we will not be able to enjoy the kingdom of God unless we first forsake our reliance upon our own self-righteousness. We must, must give up of any assumptions that we might have that that, that, that we can make it on our own and, and freely confess that we are in great need of the help that only God can give. And we'll never be able to enjoy that grace until we recognize that we can't get there on our own. That we have absolutely no righteousness of our own to depend upon. That we must completely depend upon the righteousness that God has provided us in and through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. So our main theme from uh, our passage this morning in Luke 5 is that we must beware that we will only be a part of Christ's kingdom if we turn away from all that we rely on and recognize our desperate need for him, for Christ. So in the Gospel of Luke, Luke now turns our attention to another call story uh, for one of the 12 disciples, we, we had one earlier uh, for Simon Peter and, and James and John. And now we are hearing the call story for uh, Levi, who is also known as Matthew, um, one of the uh, 12 apostles. And he was a tax collector. But Luke's focus isn't really on Levi, 
or his friends. Luke's focus seems to be on the Pharisees' response to what Jesus was doing. Luke is trying to to, to warn us about the danger of self-righteousness, and it is the Pharisees who are making his point for him. It is a point that we ourselves must not miss, that we will only be a part of Christ's kingdom if we turn away from, from all that we rely on, that is, relying on the things that we are able to do, our religion, um, uh, our good works, um, uh, you know, going to church and, 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 and being a part of all that's going on there. And we, we to, 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 to turn away from relying on that for our own righteousness and recognize our desperate need for Christ to save us. So as we look at this uh, passage, we'll look at uh, verses 27 through 32. Uh, first of all here, probably take up most of our time because this is kind of the most significant thing we see in this passage. And uh, the heading I put over these verses is the self-righteous question why Jesus would party with sinners. Self-righteous question why Jesus would party with with sinners. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, remember the Pharisees represent here the self-righteous, or those who are trusting in their own righteousness in order to be acceptable uh, before God. So that's who Jesus is talking about when he says, I've not come to call the righteous, those who believe that they are already righteous and don't need Jesus. That's uh, who the Pharisees are representing here in this passage. Uh, the Pharisees, you know, it happened to be uh, by their, their, their being very careful to keep the law of Moses. That's how they were, they were thinking that they were righteous. And, and especially, you know, going beyond the law, doing even, even more than what the law said they were to do in order to make themselves right with God. That's what they were looking uh, and depending upon. Uh, this included, you know, keeping themselves away from those who would be considered unclean. Last week, we saw that 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 would have included those who suffered from various skin diseases. And and here, we also see it would have included those who were known to be sinful, those who were known to to not keep the law of God. And tax collectors would have been firmly in that category. They were known to be sinful in their very profession of taking taxes from the people. They were known to tax people more than what was required and then to pocket the excess. They were known also as traitors, betraying God and his people by working for the pagan rulers who were taxing God's people on their behalf. So so to be a tax collector would be like those who, who know they are sinning against God, but yet they don't really care because they're making such a good living off of it. So the Pharisees believed in order to keep themselves clean, to worship the Lord, they had to separate themselves from the known sinners like these tax collectors. But Jesus, Jesus who was the righteous one, 
who was the Son of God, obviously lived by a different way. Verse 27 says, He went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. Luke says that Jesus saw him. He saw this tax collector. He looked at him. He recognized who he was, that he was a tax collector, that he was known as a sinner, probably as a a liar and a cheater and a traitor. He saw this tax collector. So if you were like the Pharisees, you'd expect that after seeing this tax collector that Jesus would have went the other way, that he would have avoided him. Or maybe, you know, if anything, rebuke and condemn him for his sins against God and his people. But Jesus doesn't do that. So what does Jesus do instead? Well, he approached Levi and said to him, follow me. Friends, that is Jesus, the good shepherd. He comes looking for his lost sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray and have run away from him, and yet he comes looking for his lost sheep. And he calls us to come home, to to, to follow him. Not after we have decided to reform our ways, but while we are in the midst of our sin and our disobedience, like Levi was here, that is when the Lord comes to us and calls us out of it. Verse 28, then, is a picture of repentance. This is what repentance looked like for Levi. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Leaving everything, he rose and followed him. For for Levi, repentance meant he could no longer be a tax collector. If he was going to follow Jesus as his disciple, he could not do that and still remain a tax collector at the same time. He had to forsake what he was counting on for his living, for his livelihood, and for his identity. He had to leave it all behind him in order to follow Christ. Repentance always means leaving behind what we had put our hope in prior to knowing Christ. You've got to forsake it. Repentance means turning away from what you were trusting in for your livelihood or your identity or what gave your life meaning, and turning to Christ, and then finding your hope, your identity, and the meaning of your life in him, in Jesus. Repentance, of course, also means turning away from your sin. For if we are looking to anything other than Christ for meaning in our lives, then we are definitely living and pursuing a sinful way of life. So for Levi, that was turning away from the lying, the cheating, and the stealing that he was doing for whatever ruling party he was collecting taxes for. For you, that might be turning away from a dishonest way of doing business or turning away from your own prideful and self-centered way of of living your life. It, it, It might be ending a sexually immoral relationship that you are in or getting off of social media to keep yourself from hearing and sharing gossip and being envious of others. Repentance means leaving behind your former way of life, which you lived without Christ, believing that former way of life deserved God's condemnation, 
and turning to and following Christ with all your heart from now on. And believing that that is the only way to life. That's the only way to really have life, eternal life, is in Christ. And then Luke surprises us again by showing us the first thing that Levi did after he repented. What's he do? He throws a party. This was also surprising to the Pharisees and their scribes here. Levi invited, it says, a large company of tax collectors and others to this feast with Jesus. In this culture, uh, to recline at table or to sit down and have a meal with other people would mean that you have accepted them, that you have welcomed them. It meant that you were in close relationship with them. And here was Jesus. What's he doing? He's in close relationship with a large company of tax collectors and others whom, if you noticed, the Pharisees referred to as sinners. And this was a feast. This was a party. Eating and drinking. So the Pharisees question Jesus about this. Their question implies that they are surprised that Jesus would allow himself to be identified with these people in this way. That he would willingly be this close to them, to eat from the same table. And Jesus gives us this classic line which describes the essence of the gospel in 31 and 32. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When I was a a junior in college, uh, I got pretty sick towards the end of, of the first semester of that year. Uh, I figured I just, I just had a bad case of the stomach flu, uh, which had been going around uh, the campus at that time. But, but, but although the symptoms uh, my friends had would improve after a day, mine were getting worse. I, I had immense pain in my gut, so much so that I, I couldn't sleep for two straight nights. And then after a third day of not being able to keep any food or liquids down, uh, you know, lying in bed, wide awake for the third night, came to the realization, uh, I need to maybe go to the doctor. I, I, might, I might actually need to go to the doctor. There must be something wrong with me here. And, and it had that sense that, that if I didn't get to a doctor soon, I didn't think I could survive another day of this. So I had my friend Doug uh, drive me to the ER And a couple hours later, I had my appendix removed, which had burst. The surgeon, uh, after the surgery, had said that I I may not have survived if I hadn't have gone to the hospital when I did. But why did I wait so long? Well, it's because people only go to the doctor if they really believe they need to. And sometimes it, it takes a lot for some of us to be convinced that we need to see a doctor. Jesus is saying here, Only those who know they need salvation can be saved. If you didn't believe you need a Savior, well, then you wouldn't come to Jesus. The reason why Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners and not breaking bread with only people like the Pharisees was because the Pharisees didn't believe they needed a Savior. They were trusting in their own righteousness. They were self-righteous. But it is those who know they are sinners. Well, they were the ones who were attracted to Jesus. 
because they knew that they had no righteousness of their own to depend upon, that they were in desperate need of help. They were in desperate need of a Savior. They needed Jesus, and so they came. Verse 33 through 35, then, the the self-righteous question why Jesus would allow his disciples to party. They questioned why Jesus would allow his disciples to party. And then they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So the Pharisees have another question for Jesus in response uh, to his answer that uh, uh, has come, that he, that he has come not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. You know, you might be wondering uh, kind of the same thing that the Pharisees were. You know, they probably thought, okay, um, well, re- repentance kind of looks a little different to us than, than it seems to look to Jesus here. To them, Maybe repentance should look a little more, you know, like a time of mourning over your sin. Mourning in sackcloth and ashes, which was common in that culture. Um, And maybe repentance should look a little less like a party where people are feasting on good food and drinking wine together. That is why they make the statement, insinuating that the way they were practicing their religion was much different and much more faithful than what they were seeing um, with Jesus and the disciples doing at this party. Again, it says, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, eat and drink. Do do, do you hear the accusation in that line? I, I I think we're meant to. Let's remind ourselves who the Pharisees were accusing here. This is the man whom, when he was baptized by John, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And God the Father spoke to him from heaven, saying, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. And here the Pharisees say to him, oh, calling sinners to repentance, huh? You know, we can't help but notice that your disciples, whom you are calling to repentance, seem to be not acting all that much different from the tax collectors and sinners whom you say you have called to repentance. You know, Um, I don't know, but but we would kind of expect sinners, whom, again, you say you are calling to repentance, to maybe look like they actually feel sorry for their sin, you know, by by maybe fasting, maybe offering, you know, some some praying for their souls, you know, like, like our disciples do. And Jesus responds to their insinuation with another revealing statement about who he is. You see, in the writings of Isaiah the prophet, the Lord is referred to there as a bridegroom. And of course, his people 
as the bride. In Isaiah 62, we have, we have these beautiful verses pointing to the consummation of the kingdom of God. Isaiah 62, verse 4. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. And then in verse 5 of Isaiah 62, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And Jesus assumes the Pharisees know those verses. And Luke assumes we do as well, that we would also make the connection. What's happening here with this feast? Well, it's kind of like a wedding feast. Jesus is not denying that there are times to fast, but no one fasts at a wedding feast. The reason why his disciples were not fasting was because the bridegroom was there with them. The bridegroom who has come to win his bride. Jesus is, of course, saying he is the bridegroom. The bridegroom from Isaiah 62. That he is God in the flesh, come to win his people. And here his people, sinners, were coming to him. This is not a time for fasting. It is a time for feasting, for celebration. And we will see more of this throughout Luke's gospel, particularly in Luke 15. In that chapter, Luke puts together three separate parables that, 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 that all have this in common. They are all stories about repentance, about the Lord finding his lost people. And, and when, when, when that which was lost was found in each of those parables, remember, you know, there's the lost coin, and then there's the lost sheep, and, and, and there's, there's the lost son. And after each is found, what happens in, in, in those parables? Do you remember? There's a party. There's a party in each one. And Jesus explains in those parables, there is joy in heaven before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And that is what we are seeing here with Levi's repentance. He throws a party and Jesus and the disciples are rejoicing there with him. Friends, re repentance is something to rejoice over. For the lost have been found, the dead have been made alive. But even over this passage of rejoicing and feasting, there is this ominous sign. And that's there in verse 35. Jesus also tells the Pharisees this, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So he informs us that this was not the time yet for the consummation of the kingdom, for the bridegroom will be taken away. He will be betrayed. He will be killed. Yet he will rise again. But then will ascend into heaven to wait for that proper time when he will come again. And his disciples will fast in those days. Brothers and sisters, we are still in those days. But our Lord is teaching us we are not to fast in order to put on a show for others so they will think that we are so spiritual. 
nor will our fasting earn for us any righteousness before God. If, if we are to fast, he says here, it's simply because we don't have the bridegroom here with us. And we want him to come. We want to be with him. If we fast, it will be because we want the kingdom to come in all of its fullness. We want to see him. We want to be with him. That is why Christ's disciples fast, in order to focus our attention on praying for his will to be done in us and for his kingdom to come. And in the last few verses here, verses 36 through 39, Jesus warns that the self-righteous will end up missing the party. In 36 through 39, he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new. And the piece from uh, the, the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new. For he says, the old is good. Now these parables can be confusing to us because we don't really relate to them in our day like uh, Luke's first readers would have. We, we, we don't store our wine in wineskins and we rarely patch clothing anymore. Uh, but the first point Jesus is trying to make is that you can't fit the new in with the old. It just doesn't work. And the second point is that the new is just better than the old. I think we can understand what, what he is saying here if we just remember the context of uh, what the main conflict has been in this passage. The main conflict that, that is be- between the self-righteousness of the Pharisees uh, who were relying on their own work of keeping the law in order to make themselves acceptable to God and the new reality that Jesus is bringing as the bridegroom coming to call those who know they are sinners to repentance. So those who do not consider themselves to be sinners are those who are looking to the old way, you know, keeping the law, going above and beyond the law, believing if they just do the right things that God must be pleased with them. That is the way they are looking, which Jesus refers to as drinking the old wine. And if they're drinking the old wine, they don't desire the new, for they believe that they have made themselves righteous before God. They don't need Jesus. Jesus is saying you, you just can't fit him, fit Jesus into that old way. For if you are self-righteous, you will have no need of someone to save you. You will not come to Christ for the redemption he brings. You can't come and enjoy the feast that Jesus will bring into your life for all of eternity if you think you can just try a little harder. You know, you know poke, poke that head of yours through the fence of the law and earn for yourself a place in God's kingdom. Jesus is warning them and us here that that's, that's, that's not how it works. You can't earn yourself a place at God's table. You cannot come into God's kingdom on your own efforts, by your own works, in your own righteousness. For you have none. You have none before a holy God. Until you know yourself to be a sinner and recognize Jesus to be the Son of God who came to save sinners like us. Sinners who lived a completely sinless life, fulfilling all of our righteousness on our behalf. 
Jesus comes with that, that completely sinless life and, and then laying down his life, dying for our sins on the cross as our substitute and then defeating death and hell by overcoming the grave through his resurrection and ascension into heaven to serve as our mediator between God and man. Until you look to him as your savior, as your mediator, your personal savior for your sins, you cannot be saved. You will still be stuck drinking the old wine which will lead you to destruction instead of being welcomed into the feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the bridegroom of God's people, the Lord Jesus Christ. This passage shows us that there are are two types of people in the world, those who know they are sinners and have no hope in and of themselves, and there are those who believe that they have no need to fear God, that God must be on their side, you know, for they, 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 they've done this, and they've done this, and they've done this. They've been baptized. They've been confirmed. They've been, to, uh, been a church member. You know, they, they, they've been doing a lot of good things in their life. Definitely more good things than that person's been doing. Sinners know. Sinners know they need mercy. So they welcome Christ's grace with joy. The self-righteous believe they have no need for mercy. So they look upon Christ's grace with suspicion as we see the Pharisees doing here. If, if I ask people why they believe they will be in heaven, I, I usually get some form of, of two answers. Uh, most point back to something that they have done. That's why they'll be in heaven. Or something they, they are doing. I'm, I'm doing this. And that's why they'll be in heaven. While others will point away from themselves And they'll point to Jesus. And they'll confess the only way that a sinful person like me could ever be welcomed into heaven is only because of what Jesus has done to save me. And friends, we need to think about this for yourselves. Which category would you honestly say you are in today? Which answer would you give? The author of the most famous hymn in all of the world Amazing Grace was John Newton. And the testimony which he shared with a friend just before his death gives us his answer to my question. This was his testimony. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I was. I am not what I used to be, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. Although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, I pray that that these uh, words that we've heard and seen in Luke's gospel this morning would really rest in our hearts. Father, that we would be able to see whether or not we are really looking to you, to Christ, 
for our salvation. Help us, Lord, we pray, to trust in the Lord Jesus, to recognize our need for him. We have nothing in and of ourselves we can rely on, only the grace that you provide through the life, death, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, come Lord Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.